Welcome to the Scotland's Choice podcast. The journey to our referendum is underway, so join us as we discuss how together we can build a fairer, more equal and prosperous Scotland. Our goal is to ensure that our listeners are informed, that they're encouraged to get involved and will hopefully inspire others to think about the possibilities for Scotland. Because... As our country renews, we need to choose our own future before somebody else chooses it for us. I'm your host, Drew Hendry MP, and in this episode, I'm in conversation with Michelle Thompson, MSP. Michelle was elected to the Scottish Parliament in May 2021, having previously served as an MP and as SNP Business, Innovation and Skills Spokesperson at Westminster. Formerly accomplished professional musician and graduate of the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama, she gained a postgraduate degree in information technology and prior to politics, spent 23 years in the financial sector. Michelle, thank you for joining us on Scotland's Choice. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. How are you today? I'm doing very well. And all the better for having you um, here for speaking to us from the uh, Scottish Parliament today, Michelle. Yep. Um, Michelle, I want to start with uh, with a question I think that's quite uh, important for business. We know from the 2014 referendum that business and the economy was and obviously remains a large part of the argument over independence, but a lot has changed since 2014. What do you think are the fundamental differences for business now, and what are the, what are the opportunities? Well, of course, the, the, the fundamentals for business remain the same, i.e. trade within a place that has a defined and a mature legal system, a market to trade in and to, and a market to sell to and from. But of course, the, the biggest change has been far and away the exit from the EU and the loss of access to the single market. I mean, we keep saying these figures, but it's a trading market of millions of people. And we've seen it uh, with a shambolic set of negotiations where over a prolonged period of time, there was great uncertainty. And only recently we saw the further delay to the, the Northern Ireland Protocol. So in summary, there's more complexity, there's more barriers, there's longer timescales, there's higher cost to trade within Europe. And of course, we know the exports UK-wide have dropped by around a, a billion over the past year, but figures in, in Scotland between quarter one 2020 and quarter one 2021, Scottish exports have fallen by about uh, 15%. To the EU, they've fallen by 18%. So the claim was that leaving the EU would allow for access to other markets. But of course, there was nothing to stop that trade in the first place. And now we're left with scrabbling about for paltry deals such as the Australia deal with its risk to our farmers, our food standards, and only a tiny estimated increase to UK GDP of 0.01%. So last week point I would make significant issue has been the the loss of freedom of movement. Now this is a huge issue for Scotland as we like many Western economies have an issue with demography. Now this is not a new problem for Scotland. We've known about it for a long time and the Scottish government sought to address it by encouraging young Europeans to come to Scotland. Of course they come here, they bring their ideas, they bring their culture, 
and they pay tax. And the Scottish Fiscal Commission estimates that we'll have 60,000 less people coming to Scotland from Europe over the next five years. And that's 60,000 people paying less tax, as well as the loss of labour, another critical issue for business. I'm sure we'll go on and talk about the acute shortages of labour to various sectors of economy. It seems as though it's never off the radio and the TV at the moment. So I suppose I would summarise it as a curtailing of opportunity due to Brexit that I think people involved in business are seeing acutely across their own sector and certain sectors. It's really, really difficult. Opportunities, I suspect we're going to go on and talk about it. And you won't be surprised to hear me say that, of course, I see opportunities for Scotland. Stop the world. Scotland wants to get on, as Winnie Ewing used to say, in terms of us re-establishing in the EU. But I suspect you might want to come on to that. But that's my assessment of where we are at the moment. Well, I will indeed want to come on to that. But I think basically what you're saying is that there's now more uncertainty uh, because of the behaviour of Westminster of staying in the UK than there is uh, with independence. It, <laughs> we, we, you were talking there about you know Scotland's exporting. Scotland's the only UK nation to have internationally exported more goods uh, than it has imported ever every single year since records began. Uh, as you were saying, Brexit has really hammered those businesses exporting to the EU. And we've also seen the, the rise of costs. Uh, costs of goods have gone up uh, because of the way the supply chain works. We do, however, export around the world. How can independence improve our export trade for Scotland? I mean, it's a great question. And I'm heartened by some of the work I did before I became an MSP with Roger Mullen, who I think has been on your programme when we traded as momentous change. One of the pieces of work we did was to interview over a thousand senior business leaders drawn from 47 different countries. And we asked them a variety of questions. They were all our, our global business diaspora if you like. And we were asking them about how it felt to be Scottish in the world trading, how it felt to be trading with people who were Scottish trading with Scotland. And one of the big things that came through was one, Scotland as a voice, Scotland as a brand has very, very high trust factors. And we know that these so-called trust factors are absolutely vital to doing business today. People will positively choose to trade with Scots because of the way they do their business. And it's difficult to underestimate the goodwill that we received. I mean, given that that, that data set to interrogate was, was really very heartening and people are so positive. So I, I wasn't being facetious when I said earlier, I quoted that famous Winnie Ewing phrase, we can fundamentally big up on our global presence using our very strong Scotland the brand. Now, you'll know from the, the time you spend in Westminster and the time I was there, I always felt that Scotland struggled to make its unique voice heard. And of course, marketing is fundamentally about differentiation. We had to speak, and we still at the moment have to speak through the prism of the UK. So that means things like our amazing universities, St Andrews being, you know, top, explaining the whole time, well, this is why we do a four-year degree. And we're always having to be presented of 
this is how it is. And then there's a kind of wee voice at the side that says, oh, but we're a wee bit different. So suddenly we will be our own voice in, their, in the world with our own marketing strategy, with our own differentiation. And I think that will mark an opening of something really significant. The other point I would make is that the Scottish Government has already made it very clear how important it regards external markets all around the world. If you look at the work that Ivan McKee uh, has done with Scotland, a trading nation, they're clearly setting out where their target markets are as well and in what sectors in other work. So this clarity of purpose to get business done and to work with business uh, is going to be very important. And the last wee point I would make is supply chains. Supply chains, and again, it may be something that we want to go and discuss further. We are seeing the evidence of how supply chains have been crucially broken as a result of Brexit. COVID has definitely had a hand in it, but we can start to establish supply chains that work for our businesses doing our trade. Indeed, so. and you mentioned how important exports are to the Scottish Government. Every single year since the SNP has been in power, exports to the EU have risen, uh, whilst the UK-EU exports have fallen. And we only have to look across the Irish Sea to see the difference in exporting there. You know, The UK has just fallen out of Germany's top 10 uh, you know, countries to, to trade with, and Ireland's up 60% with them. So there's a lot of opportunity there. It, Michelle, we've, we've seen with Brexit that many UK-based businesses have relocated either partially or fully to other uh, EU nations. What are the implications then for independence? Would we see companies relocating to the remaining UK or would we have an influx of companies relocating here? Well, from a business perspective, I can't think of a reason why businesses would relocate to the rest of the UK in the event of independence. Why would they choose to go to the trouble and expense given that it's more expensive for commercial property, given that how the rest of the UK has set out its stall in looking inwards and looking backwards. Actually, part of our challenge will be many, many more businesses will want to move to Scotland. And I knew that when uh, I talked to many businesses based down south when I was in Westminster, and a private comment many of them made was, that were Scotland to become independent, given the proximity between England and Scotland, they could see themselves wanting to move at least some functions into Scotland to get access to a Scotland that has access to the single market. So I actually think, you know, that the, the problem you pose is that we would have businesses who want to move here. And I think that's a really exciting opportunity. We'd have to be making room for them. It, it brings me on to a, another point. A, a lot of people are unaware of the fact that Scotland has 34% of the natural wealth of the UK, despite only having 8.4% of the population. So that's quite, a, quite a, an important figure to bear in mind. And thinking about that, how crucial are Scotland's businesses uh, to using the, the assets that we have here in Scotland to create uh, a successful independent country uh, in the future for Scotland? They're utterly 
they're utterly fundamental. Now, we know that the, the Scottish government has stolen a march in terms of what it intends for, for net zero. It wants to achieve that five years sooner than Westminster. But it's more the spirit of intent, which is not only saying that they regard this, we regard this as incredibly valuable, but it's also just recently they published a framework. And of course, that is going to morph into much more detailed planning about how Scottish businesses can be at the forefront of making things happen. And of course, in making things happen, we don't just mean manufacturing products or services and then shipping them out. It means putting ourselves at the head of the food chain, if you like, in developing some of the areas in renewables that we're starting to see. So we've talked about, uh, or we will may talk about hydrogen, for example. We don't just want to use hydrogen. We want to almost adopt the, what it's called the power to X concept, where the various uses of hydrogen become world leading and Scotland. And in some respects, arguably because it's a medium sized country and it's got these short lines between academia, between government, between business, they actually work in our favour in being at the forefront of some of this technology. You were um, you were talking there about the Scottish government supporting uh, businesses. Obviously, there's a great record of supporting startups and growing businesses. We talked about earlier about those EU export figures that have uh, been going further. And just to follow up on what you were saying there, do you feel that independence could boost that um, even further? Well, let me say to you, uh, if I am still an MSP in the advent of independence, I will be making that very much a personal mission. Scotland has a long tradition of entrepreneurialism. We have, we have taken to the world some of the, the best ideas. We've got some cracking uh, small businesses here. The Scottish government does support it, and with independence, there'd be even more to do. But let me give you an example. At the moment, within the restrictions of the UK, we have ended up with two main banks uh, and a couple of smaller challenger banks. Now, what this means is that quite often Scottish businesses struggle to access the finance they need to grow their business. I personally would be advocating the setup of a retail bank to specifically encourage uh, probably on a mutual basis to specifically encourage entrepreneurialism to enable small businesses to grow. Now, at the moment, as you will well know, with regulation residing at Westminster, these kind of initiatives are very hard to do. And we're stuck with banks that their focus tends to focus on London and the southeast rather than the sort of businesses we want to support. And that's just one example of how we can support business if we're a normal country and we're independent. And I, want, I want to stay with this theme of um, smaller businesses just for a moment or two longer. Uh, big business is obviously important. You're mentioning the banks and others there. It's obviously important to the company. However, smaller businesses are often the backbone of communities in Scotland. Um, how do we take forward the examples, the, the ingenuity, the innovation, uh, the success we've seen uh, from the growth, growth of certain local businesses during the pandemic? How do we take that forward post-independence? Yeah, I mean, you've touched on something that is utterly fundamental. We've all seen 
what, what the importance of community. And I've always said that business is of our communities. And we all saw during the, the pandemic how local businesses supported people. There have been some fantastic stories. So we want to encourage that because I must admit that I have been disheartened about some of the narrative that's been allowed to creep in around the vital importance of businesses. So they're just out to make money. I mean, sure, the business needs to make money, but they are of the community. So we, if we link it to this concept of 20-minute neighbourhoods and take a consumer-led perspective to it, what does that mean in terms of somebody living in the area that they need to go out and be able to do? And of course, that means if you've got that focus, well, what businesses do they need to be serviced by both at their desk in their house, which starts to bring in digital, and as they go out into their neighbourhood he talked about um, innovation. There has never been a more critical time than just now, post-COVID, to think utterly different about business and about how we do our business. So we, of course, we are going to look at incentive schemes. Of course, we can be looking at different types of education in schools. We need entrepreneurs. They're the change makers. I've talked about supply chains. I've talked about a, a retail bank. But literally, there are many, many different ideas. And I'm sure you'll have plenty of your own as well. Indeed. Well, a few seconds ago, you talked about the digital industry. Let's let's talk yeah. about that. The digital industry contributes massively to the Scottish economy. There's nearly a 40% growth expected by 2024 in, in, in that industry. Under the UK, is digital business being held back? Many businesses are being held back, but digital in particular uh, is being hurt. And the reason for that, which I mentioned earlier on in this piece, is around freedom of movement. Mm. The very real issues with immigration have stopped talent coming here. And that is incredibly damaging. To be honest, I think some of the rules now contain a certain snobbery, which I find deeply disturbing. And, and I think even Michael Gove in Westminster has suggested himself devolving immigration powers to Scotland. Yeah, he's been dancing Making around like, that one, hasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, of course. I mean, uh, you know, he's he's a politician and he's got to look both ways because ultimately, of course, his masters are in, in Westminster. But so there's a, the, the freedom of, of movement issue. There's a stopping the, the talent coming here. But then we've also got to think about where the focus is in terms of digital investment in rural areas. Now, the Scottish government, out of frustration with the tardiness of the UK government set, set up, it's what's called R100 programme, seeking to ensure connectivity in every area. And that has, that's been uh, rolled out and has, has been a really good success. And of course, now we've got the challenge of moving on to 5G and so on. Uh, but they did this fundamentally because the UK government moving too slowly. Sometimes decisions are often decisions made in, in Westminster favour London and the South East in terms of urban areas, whereas what we were talking about earlier is COVID has shown us how vital place is and community is, and if anything, the need for connectivity and encouraging digitisation in rural areas 
is every bit as important. And I guess you'll know that yourself, given where you uh, represent in, in the Highlands. Well, indeed, and I'll mention that in a, a moment or two, but you're, you're quite right to, to focus on the fact that people forget that digital infrastructure is a, is a reserve power to Westminster. And you were saying the Scottish government's actually had to step in, go beyond and spend beyond its remit in order to make sure that our communities, our businesses are able to catch up. And, you know, this, this is one, one of the things that's often frustrating when you see the Tories They're essentially moaning about themselves, but trying to cast that in a bad light on the Scottish government. They, they, they just I, I see delivered. that a lot in the, yeah. in the Scottish Parliament. Yeah. I mean, they, they really do speak with two heads. Indeed, Indeed the Labour Party <laughs> do as well, yeah. because, you know, they will talk about certain things, like there was an issue came up recently about regulation, and I think, well... Those of us with long enough memories will remember what Gordon Brown did in terms of loosening off regulation and the problems that that led to. And the Labour Party and, and the Conservatives, Westminster is always the answer, even in the face of evidence of how it's hurting us. So it's just... Indeed. unfathomable but really you give me an opportunity in the moment to talk about the highlands there which is something i always love to do anyway um so i'm going to take that opportunity one of the uh, areas that's been uh, hit by a change that's been made at westminster is the highland highlands and islands uh, previously you know beneficiaries of great great amounts of eu spending in order to try and drag the infrastructure and other things up to to uh, code after decades and decades and decades of neglect from Westminster. There's still lots of work to do. But at Westminster, Boris Johnson's government, which talks a lot about levelling up, has introduced their new fund, which is supposedly to replace EU funding for business and communities. Uh, and it's moved areas from the top of the list for investment, such as Highland and others in Scotland, uh, to the bottom. And, and how will this change, this uh, different view from, uh, uh, from Boris Johnson's Westminster government change things for people? How will impact on Scotland? This is a huge area of concern. I'm really, really concerned about this. I mean, fundamentally, we won't have the same amount of funds at our disposal. Two, they won't be spent in areas that will benefit Scotland. The UK will obviously seek to impose its will on how monies are spent. And you've highlighted yourself for the UK government, the Highlands simply are not a priority. I mean, the Highlands, for many, uh, had no investment at all. So what I believe we will see is further focus on the projects that the UK government regard as valuable and in direct contrast with the areas and the projects that the democratically elected MSPs of the Scottish Parliament see as valuable. So some of the things I talked about earlier on, there's multiple examples of where the Scottish government has been able to use both its own money and EU funding to put projects in place. And that will no longer be at our disposal. It's a huge concern and it can't be underestimated. Indeed. Well, let's go back to uh, talking about some of the concerns that uh, people have made in the past. In 2014, uh, some businesses said that they feared independence because of the financial uncertainty. Uh, businesses seem much less wary nowadays. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think is, what, what do you think are the key factors that have changed minds there? Well, in some respects, 
talk of independence has become normalised, thank goodness. I mean, because as well as uh, events, dear boy, as you would say, changing things, and I'll, I'll come that on old, to that. That old parliamentary also, term, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. We've also got kind of culture changing. I mean, I remember at the start of the first independence referendum, if you like, that it was almost considered impolite to talk about ourselves, to talk about our aspirations, to talk about how we could take control of our destiny. Uh, And that has changed fundamentally. And I often tease the Tories, for example, who will say to you, oh, we're interested in focus on the business and economy. And I say, well, that's great. But why then, in terms of your business, your business being Scotland, do you choose to abrogate responsibility to Westminster? So that kind of cultural shift has certainly uh, taken place. Secondly, Brexit, it's difficult to overestimate how important that has been. Business at the time of the first independence referendum would talk about things like certainty, and stability. They knew what their trading parameters were. They knew who they were they were trading with and on what basis. They understood how it worked. And of course, not only Brexit and the vote, but the manner in which it has been done. And I won't say the word on your podcast, but we do have a famous quote from the Prime Minister Boris Johnson, where he said, "F." business and he made his position quite clear about what he thought about that he's been doing that ever since yeah uh and financial services for example have been given a very very short thrift so i think businesses one have now realized that we are in a state of constant change even though they might not like it we might not like it that's the way it is surely it is better to be at the head of that change driving that change, taking accountability and responsibility and creating the change you want to see and you want to have rather than being subjected to the mercy of somebody who fundamentally doesn't act in your own interests. And I think a lot of people and a lot of people in business have really changed their view. The EU access to the single market is utterly vital. Access to the labour they need at a point when they need it is utterly vital to business. That is a significant change. You're absolutely Regular listeners to this podcast will have heard me say this before, and I mean, no apologies for saying it again, but when you look at the way business has been affected by Brexit, we're now Mm -hmm. forecast to lose £9 billion uh, in exports by 2030. I mean, that's just a crazy attack, uh, or a yes. self-inflicted crazy attack on business. Um, and, uh, you know, like I say, just as we said, we're discussing earlier, makes staying in the UK far more uncertain than the uh, than the positive opportunities with independence. But let's talk about something that is, you know, a challenge um, just now to independence. The interim period between a yes vote and independence, uh, and then between that and rejoining the EU poses uh, some challenges for Scotland, that's a, a matter of fact. The, there will be some uncertainties for business, but we, we know that Scottish businesses are resilient. Michelle, what reassurance can you give to businesses about the implications of a border between Scotland and the remaining part of the UK? First of all, I would say I think you are fair to reflect on the challenges, and this is something that we need to recognise, the fear uh, of people. Borders are normal. 
Uh, and for those of us of a certain age, we remember traveling through Europe and the multitude of borders. So they are quite normal. But the nature and type of border that we would have with the rest of the UK, given how borders and the concept of them have evolved, is no bad thing to want to control your borders. But that has to be balanced against doing trade. So the SNP and the Scottish Government differ to the current incarnation of Tories in Westminster, who set out knowingly and deliberately to introduce restrictions and to introduce barriers to trade. We would want to limit them as much as possible. So our vision of independence is about facilitating trade as a digital and technical savvy country who can be trusted to do business with, as I said earlier. So I personally would want to see as much limits on borders as possible whilst recognising there will need to be a border. But then let me also point out, though, that the majority of trade, uh, intra-trade between the, in the UK is services based, so it wouldn't be impacted by borders in quite the same way, because when we tend to think about borders, we think about products rather than services. So that's an important point as well. So you're talking about, about financial services, about insurance services, things that don't yeah. need to go and create. Professional services. You, you, could talk, you could also talk about oil, gas, even water. Um, uh-huh. You know that uh, that goes across the the border. These kind of piped goods as well. You know that uh, make up. And a lot, a lot of people don't realise that sixty two percent of Scotland's manufactured goods actually go outside the the UK and into the EU and other markets. So you know, it, so it isn't the quite the picture that they like to paint on that. I think that there's also a, a point to be made. We could look at many of our our near neighbours, um, but it, but of course Ireland is quite handy because it's just. We can see it from Scotland, and it's smaller than Scotland, has less resources. Ireland used to do 90% of its trade with the UK, and it's now down to 10%. So, you know, the, this is something that, you know, we can change the dial on, isn't it, as we go forward? Well, yeah, and we've seen the evidence of that, and maybe really it's about vision. The EU economy is nearly six times the size of the rest of the UK, and by re-entering the single market in Europe, we would be able to gain free access again. I think in visionary terms, we want to be in the world trading with, with the rest of the world. We want to be within Europe. And of course, as I said at the beginning, there's nothing stopping us trading with lots of other countries. That was one of the great myths of, of Brexit. It is a matter for me of vision and ambition. We don't want to turn away and look inwards and only want to trade with who will continue to be friends and partners in the rest of the UK. We want to be trading everywhere and we definitely want to be ambitious. Stop the world, Scotland and Scottish business wants to get on. Michelle, one final question. It doesn't need to be about business or um, uh, or any specific thing, but if, if I had to ask you, what is your biggest uh, you know your biggest hope for uh, for independence. Your you think the great what is the greatest benefit of independence? Uh, what would your answer be? I think it's for the future. I fully accept that um, there will be changes, and I fully accept that the time to implement those changes it won't happen overnight. And I think we need to be honest about that. For me, the biggest benefit is 
for our future, us taking some um, accountability over creating the future that we want to see for our children and for our grandchildren. I don't want to see Scotland cowering in a corner. I want to see Scotland, the brand, emblazoned around the world and leading leading the rest of the world in its culture, in its ethics, in its business, in its trade. Uh, And I think there's exciting opportunities for a fleet and a fast-moving country like ours. Michelle Thompson, thank you very much indeed for joining me today on the Scotland's Choice podcast. Thank you. Well, there we have it. Scotland has a strong financial and economic background and the infrastructure to power us to move forward. For business, the prospect of independence has been normalised and they're better prepared for it than ever. The damage and uncertainty of the UK's Brexit future is far more concerning to many of those involved. And Scotland could attract more business and investment to Scotland as an independent country with access to the EU single market. My thanks to Michelle Thompson for taking part and to you for listening. Don't forget you can find new and previous episodes of Scotland's Choice at scotlandschoice.scot. If you can share this podcast, it can help others with their decision on Scotland's future. I'm Drew Hendry and I hope you'll join me next time on Scotland's Choice. Mm-hmm.